Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Good day, my listening friends, and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. It is such a privilege for Elder David Wise and myself, Elder Joe Nettles, to be able to bring this program to you through the kindness of WLZA 96.1 FM and through the support of our respective churches and so many people who pray for this ministry. And we thank you for tuning in. And if this is your first time tuning in, oh, you're so welcome. And we hope that you'll make it a happy habit in your life to be here with us at 8 a.m. every Sunday morning here on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I pastor Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, and Elder David Wise pastors Macedonia Primitive Baptist Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, near Ackerman, Mississippi. And we also invite you to visit Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 55 Tahoe Road in Mabin, Mississippi. All of our churches meet at 1030 a.m. every Sunday morning, and you will be so welcomed, and people will be just so glad to see you. I think you'll just, I will treat you in so many ways you're bound to like one of them. So just come on and visit with us. We'd love to have you. Uh, you also meet with us at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening on the grounds of New Covenant Church. That's at 200 West Garrett Road in Starkville, Mississippi. We have a fellowship meeting there every Wednesday evening, abbreviated song service and message, and then we break bread and visit and fellowship together. We'd love to have you at New Covenant Church, 200 West Garrett Road, 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening evening. Go to the website gospel-of-grace.com. You're going to find archive messages, frequently asked questions, church locators, many resources. We hope that you'll enjoy it. And while you're there, please contact us. Let us know that you're listening. Today we have, uh, are uh, bringing forth a series regarding regeneration and the metaphors of regeneration we found find in the Word of God, and we hope that you'll stay tuned with us glad to address you again today on the subject of regeneration. Now, specifically about regeneration or the new birth, being born again, we are discussing how the descriptive terms are used regarding regeneration, what metaphors are used regarding regeneration. And when we look at those metaphors, it should be obvious to us that what is being conveyed to us by the meaning of scripture is that God uh, affected and caused the new birth of every born-again child of God himself without any assistance. It was a monergistic work of quickening, of making alive that which was spiritually dead. Okay, uh, We've spoken with you before uh, about the concept of the phrase new birth. You didn't cooperate in your natural physical birth, and God was not depending upon you to cooperate in your spiritual birth. There's no accident that the same terminology was used. Again, and later we talked about creation. Uh, how many people were taking part in helping the Lord create this universe? None. He did it himself. It was as monergistic as you can get because there was no one around to help him. And we couldn't have helped him if we would. Uh, you know, it's just all of God. Well, we talked to you how we read for you some passages of scripture from Ephesians and 2 Corinthians, how the new birth is equated with a creation. So just as 
Mankind doesn't cooperate in his own creation. Mankind cannot cooperate. Who He's dead in trespasses and sins. He cannot cooperate in being spiritually created or the spiritual man uh, being placed within him, being affected and enlivened within him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at our third concept, uh, translation. Translation. Uh, what does translation mean? It means to convey from one state or position to another through the power of superior power or intellect. We see this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet and made us acceptable, made us right, made us proper. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, the translation was pulling you out of darkness and placing you into the kingdom of his dear son. Translation, my friends, obviously carries with it the idea of that which is monergistic. It is not a cooperative effort. We read the definition again. It means to convey something from one state or position to another through the power of superior power or intellect. You are unable to bring yourself out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. Why? Because as his discussion, Nicodemus, as we spoke on the last message of this series, you could not see nor enter into the kingdom of heaven without the new birth already having taken place. So here, God brought you out of darkness through the power of the Holy Spirit and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son into eternal life. You were born again. That uh, Greek word from which translation is translated uh, is, uh, we see another usage of that same Greek word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. And the apostle Paul, speaking of love, makes this statement. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. Now, no one there reading that passage of Scripture would imagine in their mind's eye that through faith, the Apostle Paul was trying to tempt or invite or coax a mountain. No, in your mind's eye, when it says, so that I could remove mountains, you get in your idea of a powerful entity plucking up a mountain and moving it to another place. Well, that word remove, as in so that I could remove mountains, is the same Greek word as translate. Obviously, it would take a power. The mountain's not going to cooperate. The power must lift the mountain up and to move it. That is the word picture under consideration in that verse. Consider Enoch and Elijah, the only two Bible characters that we know of. Now, maybe unrecorded in scripture, other people have been translated directly into heaven. I don't know, but all I can say is the only two that we see who have been translated without ever suffering physical death, corporeal death, were Enoch and Elijah, okay? Elijah and Enoch were taken up. God took them, and it obviously was not of their cooperative effort. 
I mean, Enoch couldn't build a fiery chariot and horses of fiery. Uh, Enoch uh, couldn't keep himself in it. Uh, Enoch didn't have the power to make himself go to heaven. No, that was all the divine power of the Lord. And it was also the case of uh, Elijah and Enoch. So we see that as a use of translation. That's a faithful use of the term translate. Uh, notice books are translated. Uh, I read from the 1611 King James translation, uh, a, a large group of a very uh, august and, and knowledgeable men came together and took seven full years to translate into English from uh, ancient texts and from other manuscripts and other Bibles. And uh, as far as I know, we have the very best uh, English translation Bible that can be had in the King James translation. Well, the, the, this translation didn't translate itself. I mean, nobody would look at a Greek manuscript and say, well, I'm just sitting here waiting for this Greek manuscript to turn itself into English. I mean, that's, that's silliness. You, you don't, how does something get translated? Someone with a higher intellect, with a knowledge of both the Greek and the English actively read the Greek and then translated it into English. It was not a cooperative effort. They did it of their own devices, of their own volition, you see. So in the same way, we are passive recipients of the new birth. We've been translated into the kingdom. And you may say, well, Brother Joe, I saw a time when I needed Jesus Christ and I confessed him as my Savior, and it's then I came into the kingdom. No, my friends, you had already been brought in the eternal kingdom of the Lord at the moment you were born again in the Spirit of God, and that had to take place before you ever felt your need of Christ. You see, a baby doesn't cry to obtain life. A baby cries because it already has life. And you, little baby in Christ... We're crying because you already had life. You already had the spirit of adoption in your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And then when you cried it with your mouth, oh, there was a great deliverance and salvation in that, but it wasn't delivering you from hell to heaven. No, the Holy Spirit had already affected that in the new birth. You had already been translated, moved from one position and state to another. You were dead in trespasses and in sins and not at all desirous of the things of the Lord. But he sent his Holy Spirit into your heart and moved you. Whereas you were dead before, now he has moved you from one position to another. He moved you from death and trespasses and sins and placed you into the kingdom of his dear son and gave you the ability, gave you faith, gave you the ability to believe and long after the Lord and see Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. I thank God that I've been translated. I know Enoch and Elijah experienced something great, but I'm satisfied with my translation. I've never been carried directly into heaven without suffering death. If the Lord doesn't come back first, one of these days I'll lay these old bones down in death. But I'll tell you, I'm thankful for my translation because I know what I used to be. And when I was what I used to be, I didn't at all want to be what I am now. Well, how did I get to this point? It was a greater power. Picked me up and translated me. Changed my heart open my mind. Okay, let's look at another uh, metaphor for the new birth in the Word of God. A drawing, D-R-A-W-I-N-G, or maybe as our English friends would say, a drawing. D-R-A-W-I-N-G, a drawing, the drawing power of the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 6, verse 44, no man can come to me. So here he says, total depravity, no man, not a one, 
can, means they, they totally lack the ability. They have no capacity to do it. Come, change from one position to another. This comes along right well, nicely with translation, mind you. To me, that is, to Jesus, desiring him as Savior, no man can come to me except this has to happen. He said, the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. So here he says, this drawing carries with it a knowledge, some rudimentary basic knowledge that's in, imparted in the heart and soul that you're a sinner and you're in need of a savior. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God, not about God. They'll be taught of God or by God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. He's talking about that drawing power. Except the Father which has sent me, draw him. Notice the words of Jesus, John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Here he had the very shadow of the cross looming over him. He was about to go to Golgotha's hill and pay the sin debt for all of his people. He'd already lived the perfect representative life, and now he was going to die the death that none of us could accomplish, pay the price that none of us could pay. He said, now is the judgment of this world. He said, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Every accuser against my elect family is going to be brought to nothing into vanity, saying, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he's talking about his crucifixion, being lifted up on the tree of the cross. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Not only was he lifted up in crucifixion, my friends, but he was also ascended up on high in the resurrection. And he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. That's a definitive statement. That's a promise of the Lord. And if he ever failed in doing that, then he was either mistaken or a liar. And we know that's impossible for one who is all man and all God. So draw means a bringing forth of something through the working of a compelling power. It literally, that Greek word from which draw is, is translated, means literally to drag. Have you ever had to drag your kids out of a place or to a place? Uh, I, I've seen that many times. I've seen kids get in trouble in church. They were about to be uh, outside of a Union Primitive Baptist Church in Ruth, Mississippi. They had a tree out there and some smart alecky church member, bless their heart, uh, put a sign up there said the switch tree. They wanted people to know that that's where you can come and whip your children uh, into submission and get them to behave if you need to. And I'm telling you, the switches on that tree work right well. I can attest to that personally. And I'll tell you, I never went out there to that switch tree willfully. I was dragged out by the power of James Ray Nettles. I was drawn out. Other uses of that same Greek word in the scriptures, James 2 and 6, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? What's under consideration there? People being led captive against their will, dragged, uh, custodially accompanied forced to go before judgment seats. That's what he says, and draw you before the judgment seats. John 18.10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, 
Notice what Simon, that big muscular fisherman, didn't do. He didn't say, okay, I'm waiting for my sword to come out and cut your ear off, Malchus. No, he didn't say, oh, sword, please come out. Oh, please, sword. No, he didn't. That muscular arm of that fisherman, Simon Peter, grabbed the hilt of that dirk and pulled it out of that scabbard. He drew it, dragged it out of there, and smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. You see, my friends, that word draw, you'd have to have help to misunderstand that. It doesn't mean to taunt or to coax uh, or to cajole. No, it means literally to drag. And Jesus said he would draw all men unto us. And he said, no man can come unto him except the Father which has sent him draw him. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, if you are one who desires to come to Jesus, having heard the preaching of the gospel, and you say that that preacher's been reading my mail, he knows the state of my heart, uh, how can he know these things? How does he know that I feel myself to be a low-down, no-good, bushwhacking, bankrupt sinner, and I need saving? I'm going to tell you what, my friends, if you come to Jesus in a gospel sense, it's because he's already brought you to him in a regenerative sense. You've already been born again. Oh, happy day. Let's go to another metaphor, resurrection. Resurrection. The making alive from the dead, that which is dead being revivified and made alive. John chapter 5, verse 21 for as the Father raiseth up the dead, speaking of resurrection, obviously, or uh, for as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, that quickeneth means to animate, to vivify, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So in some capacity, the Son is making alive whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So because of something done by the Son, judgment has made it harmonious and agreeable for a quickening to take place. Well, that's talking about the new birth. Jesus has paid for the sins of all of his elect. The Spirit comes in and applies the merits of that redeeming blood and imputed righteousness unto us vitally. Sometime while we live in God's own good timing, and we're made alive from death and trespasses and sins. Later on in verse 25 of the same chapter, John chapter 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. And I don't care what anybody says, that phrase, the hour is coming and now is, and I can prove it through context of other scriptures. The hour is coming and now is, means he's referring to something that's not only happening now, but it's been happening and it's going to keep happening. He's talking about the new birth. He's saying that even though you weren't aware of it, all of these Old Testament saints, any of them that ever are in heaven right now in soul and spirit, awaiting the resurrection of the body, they all got there one way. They all had to be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. It's got to happen for you. Okay? The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. I'm so thankful that I didn't say hear the voice of the preacher. I guarantee you I would never get a moment's rest if I thought it was my voice, my efforts, my studies that were making people quickened and born again and saving them from hell. A lot of preachers believe that. Well, if you can sleep with that, I would say you don't truly believe it, okay? I mean, that what a, what a heavy burden that is. 
But my friends, let me tell you, here he said, you shall hear the voice of the son of God, not the son of James Ray Nettles, the son of God, not the son uh, of so-and-so Graham or so-and-so Spurgeon. No, you're going to hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live. You see, the Lord is going to give them the hearing when he gives them the everlasting life. He's going to vivify them and make them alive. Notice also in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, and you hath he quickened, vivified, made alive, okay? Uh, resurrected from the dead, quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Oh, you had a beating heart. You had growing flesh. Your ears and your nose were still growing. But I'm going to tell you, you were dead in trespasses and in sins. And the only one that could take away those trespasses and sins before the bar of divine justice and could place the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to you in your soul and spirit vitally was the Holy Spirit causing you to be born again. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, again, he reiterates, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Now, I've heard some preachers say, well, the quickening just gives you a spiritual knowledge, and then it's not until you hear and believe and confess the gospel and accept the gospel before you're fully born again. I would say that is balderdash and poppycock, because whatever quickened together is here, it says it quickens you together with Christ. I'll tell you, if you're together with Christ, uh, you are a new creature, according to the verses that we read earlier. You are a new creature. All right, that's according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so that is the new birth. It happens immediately. It's quick. That's why it's called quickened. By grace, you're saved. Now let's look real quickly at the last concept. The last metaphor I want to deal with, descriptive of being regenerated, is having the word written in your heart. The word written in your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 3, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Here we're talking about spiritual life, new birth of the spirit, right? But with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Here is the Holy Spirit coming into the heart. Well, that is the new birth, my friends. That type of language is used throughout the New Testament, referring to the new birth. And what happens? His law, a sense of the righteousness of God and the wrongness of your nature is imprinted right there in that heart and soul and spirit. And then he says in verse 4, lest you think you're cooperative, he said, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward. So that's how it comes in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, the imprinting, the implanting of the word of God in your heart. That there is not talking about the Bible or the preaching. The Bible and the preaching uh, testify of this word under consideration here. This is the divine command. This is the spirit coming in and speaking life to a dead alien sinner being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And then notice what he says. 
and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Notice he did not say, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached into you. There's a difference. The gospel attests, okay, of the truth of the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way you can hear it and know it and believe it is because that Holy Spirit already has given you a receptor to believe it in your heart through the new birth. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9 through 12. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." And somebody would say, well, yeah, that's what the, that's what the gospel does. No, he, he refutes that in the next verse. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. That's what the preaching of the gospel is, teaching every man neighbor and brother. He said, they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me. Why? Because the Spirit has placed a sense of God and his divinity and his righteousness and his power in your hearts through the medium of the Holy Spirit of God. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Remember, friends, the Spirit is monergistic in this work, obviously, because of what we know about natural man's attitude toward the righteous words and being of God. Notice what the Bible says about the righteous being of God. It is noxious to the natural man. Now, if you're saying the natural man has to be cooperative in getting this law placed into his heart, how do you describe when it says in Romans chapter eight, verses seven through eight, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. How are you going to cooperate in planting a word of God in your own heart when God is your enemy? It's foolishness. For the law, uh, the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Proverbs 28, 5, evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. John eight thirty seven. Jesus speaking to those haters of him said, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Their hearts had not been tendered and changed by the spirit of God. God had not placed his divine uh righteous laws into their hearts, a sense of him in their being, and they had no way to love him. They would hate him forevermore. And I'll tell you, down in perdition right now, their souls and spirits are hating him even as we speak because they're void of the spirit of God. They don't have the ability to love God and to desire Jesus as savior. Nope, they sure don't. Friends, the Holy Spirit was not cavalier or careless in the use of metaphors conveying unto us the regeneration, it must take place, true. But nowhere in the word of God are you commanded to help God get it done. Nowhere in the word of God are you commanded, uh, you got to make yourself born again. You better hurry up and get born again. Why haven't you been born again yet? Balderdash. 
Friends, I'm here to tell you God takes care of it. God's always on time. And if you believe these words today, it's a sign that he came and invaded your heart, soul, and spirit through the medium of the Holy Spirit sometime during your life in the past and has quickened you and given you a nature to desire Jesus Christ. And I got good news for you, believer in Jesus. Heaven's going to be your home. So don't you let politics, don't you let taxes, uh, don't you let all the busy riffraff of this world drag you down. Heaven awaits you until we're able to speak with you again. We love you, and Lord bless. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under Podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caldonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from The Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonder.